So today we're starting a new sermon series. It's kind of a fun, uh, a fun series, although it does have a uh, kind of particular point that we're going to talk through as well. We're going to talk about some of the really obscure passages that are in the Bible. Now, if you've ever gone through one of these, you know, read through the Bible in a year or something like that, you've come across some of these really weird passages of Scripture that make us kind of say, the Bible says what? I mean, why is this absolutely in there? Now, one of the premises that we have when we read Scripture, especially as believers, is that we use words and we say things like, the Bible is the Word of God. And what we mean by that is that through these human authors and through the inspiration of God, people have, we have this book that we call the Bible, which is a way that God communicates with us. And that we say this is God's Word. Um, this is this is a word for us that we can read this and understand it, uh, hopefully some of the time, and and we talk about it, and it really is a way for us to navigate and decide how our lives should be lived. Now, one thing that's true of the Bible, and it's true of, of pretty much anything in our lives, is that we tend to favor passages that we know. You ever find this? We we like things that we already know or that affirm things that we already believe. In fact, if you if you watch the news or if you get on social media or whatever it is, whatever you believe, you tend to see when you go to these things. It tends to confirm what you already believe. And so most of us in this room, we probably know many Bible verses. Maybe they're kind of uh, written around, you know, we have them on coasters or they're framed in our home somewhere. So things like Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. We love that. We read that at funeral services because it gives people a sense of comfort. It reminds us that no matter what we're going through, God is with us. Or ma maybe it's Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray and, you know, kind of shares this, this story. You know, our God in heaven, hallowed be your name. We, we sort of know these, these lines and maybe we pray them often. Or Genesis 1 and 2, the creation story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then in chapter 2, he's making, you know, Adam and Eve, and he's kind of forming the story. And maybe we know these stories, or we, we, we reflect on them. One of the first stories you learn in Sunday school is about the creation. Or maybe it's Philippians 4.13. A lot of people have this one around their house, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and it inspires us. Or Joshua 24, verse 5, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and, and so we have these verses around us, and they're meant to kind of draw us into this conversation or to orient our lives around the Word of God. Now, what I want to say is I want to give you, give you the, the premise that I operate out of, and hopefully this makes a little sense. All Scripture has the same value, but not all Scripture has the same weight. What do I mean by that? I carry many titles in my life. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor, I'm a friend, I'm an exceptional needle pointer. I mean, all these things, right? They're all true, but they don't all carry the same weight. Me being a pastor or me being a dad or me being a friend, those are not all exactly the same. It doesn't mean that one invalidates the other or makes another one all uh, untrue. It just means that different titles that we wear or different things that we see, they don't always carry the same amount of weight. And I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we think the Bible is this flat book 
this book that everything has exactly the same value. And that's just not, I mean, the same weight. And that's not, that, that's not true. It doesn't mean that, that because you focus over here that this part isn't true. What it means is some things are different. Not everything has the same weight as the resurrection. Not everything carries the same intensity as God becoming flesh. And we have to read Scripture with these things in mind. However, God is teaching us through all Scripture. God uses Scripture to teach us. When, when writers share this word, they're not just meaning the New Testament is where God teaches us or through the Gospels. They're talking about, about the Old Testament that was written and even thousands of years before that as the, the Bible was really an oral tradition. It was a collection of stories that you passed on from one generation to the next. That's why when Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, he says, all Scripture is God-breathed, or your Bible might say inspired by God or given by God. God-breathed is, is a very specific set of language that, that he's using. God gave birth to this. And he's not just talking about the Bible. He's talking about all the words over the ages. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Don't you love that word? So that the servant of God or the person of God may be fully or thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has given us scripture so that we can be formed and shaped and trained to be more like God. And that's powerful and great. So one has to ask the question, why are these weird scriptures in there? What are these weird scriptures teaching us in the Bible? Now we're going to look at a few that are a little obscure and they don't have a lot of a lot of maybe context with each other. And uh, I want to tell you, so uh, we're going to look at two different passages today. Uh, first one's going to be out of Leviticus 19. The second one's going to be out of Deuteronomy uh, 25. But if you want to be really entertained, go and read a couple of chapters around Leviticus 19 and a couple of chapters around Deuteronomy 25. It's going to be very exciting. In fact, when you go to work tomorrow and people say, so what did you do at church yesterday? You're going to have a very hard time describing what I'm about to read to you, okay? So let's just have some fun together today. Um, in your Bible, Leviticus 19, there's a little subtitle in mine that says various laws or miscellaneous laws. I would, I would title this and say, I can't believe these made it in, uh, or some of them anyway. Um, and some of them are just good ideas, like, hey, this is a good idea. We should do this. The first one, Leviticus 19, beginning in verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your fields. Or gather the gleanings of your harvest, meaning, you know, the things that fall off. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave those for the poor and the foreigner because I am the Lord your God. This is just a good idea. Don't be greedy. Don't be selfish. If you have something, go and get enough for you, but leave the rest for those that are less fortunate. That's just, that's just good economics right there. And then as... Leviticus 19 unfolds. It gets a little weird. Verse 26, it says, Do not practice divination or seek omens. Do not cut the hair at the edges of your head or clip the edges of your beard. That's why I'm growing this now, because I read that this week. Um, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. Yeah. Get out. No, just kidding. Um, don't degrade do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute. I figure that would be fairly self-explanatory, but I mean, apparently it needs to be in here. Or the land will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. Observe my Sabbath and have reverence for my sanctuary because I am the Lord. 
Do not turn to mediums or speak spiritists. That's half of good TV uh, right now, isn't it? You'll be defiled by them because I am the Lord. Stand up in the presence of the aged. This is good, right? Show respect for the elderly and revere your God because I am the Lord. We should do that, right? Where did that go? Just good manners. This is, this is good. Uh, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat him. Uh, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as a native born. Wow, we could all learn from that. Love them as yourself, for you were once foreigners in Egypt, and I am the Lord. And, and all these laws, they, they kind of just go in all these weird places, and some of them are just, like we would think, common sense. And yes, that we, we should do that. That makes sense to us. And others of them were like, I don't even know why this is in there or what it's trying to say. But then we jump over to Deuteronomy chapter 25. And here are a few today we're going we're gonna to look at and focus on. And this one's kind of funny. Deuteronomy 25, beginning in verse 25, uh, verse 5, it says, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of the brother-in-law. And the first son that she bears shall carry the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out of Israel. So some of you probably need to go and make some amends with your sisters-in-law because Lord knows where this could end for you, okay? Just remember, it could be worse. What about this one, verse 11? If two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant and she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, she shall cut off her hand and show her no pity. Now, I just think in church, we don't act enough of these scriptures out. So this morning, I'd like a couple of volunteers, maybe a couple of couples. Brian, Mary, you guys want to come up here and, and show that? Anybody you're fighting with, just bring your whole row, right? Let's just, let's just act this out. Um, <laughs> okay, why are these scriptures in the Bible? We have to ask ourselves, because we, we say this is the word of God. And yet these are in there. Now, there's a couple things, you know, makes us kind of go, now the Bible says, says what? Like, I did not misread that. that that's, that's in there. The Bible says, what about that? My question is this, actually. First of all, how often is this happening that you have to write a law about that? Do you think about that? I mean, is this, is this a fairly common practice? This is our conflict resolution method at this time? Hey, if people are fighting, this is what we need to do. But the other side of it is, it is in the Bible. And it's in there for a purpose. The Bible talks, I mean, listen, I don't want to cross the woman, whoever this law was written for, because she seems fairly tough. But the reality is, is, is this <coughs> probably grows out of what we call 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Remember, Israel was this, this nation under Joseph and his brothers, and they all make their way to Egypt. And then Exodus chapter 1, a great passage to read, that talks about how a new Pharaoh is risen, uh, rises up and enslaves God's people. And it says that even the Pharaoh wants to, wants to destroy the next generation, and so he calls these midwives, these Egyptian midwives, their names are Shipra and Pua. This is Exodus 1. And he says, I'll tell you what, while you're delivering the babies, just go ahead and stab them or kill them and let the, just, just the boys, not the girls, just kill them and say, I'm sorry, your, your child died in childbirth, you know, and, and it's just so sad. And then kind of move on. But these two women are God-fearing women, and they say, we will not do that. And so they go, but they come back to Pharaoh with the story and say, these Hebrew women, they're something else. They are tough. 
They just give birth before we even get there, and we can't, we can't do anything about it. There is something that is powerful about women that live under the yoke of slavery. We know the story of Moses. We know the story under, um, under Pharaoh as he wants to kill all the babies. He wants to kill all the male heirs. And so women have to now be in this position of power and take care of their families because they're slaves. And I think sometimes when we read these laws, we think, why are these in here? But the reality is this. They do not know how to be a nation. They do not know how to be a people. Remember, they have been slaves. Slaves do not get days off. Slaves do not get sick leave. Slaves get no preferential treatment. In fact, if you are a slave, you better be healthy and good because otherwise you have no value and they will do away with you. It's kind of like professional athletes that come from nothing. And then we give them $100 million contracts. And what's the statistic? Five years after they stop playing professional sports, most of them are bankrupt because we assume because you have a lot, you know how to deal with that. You know, you know all the responsibility that goes along with suddenly uh, having more money than you've ever dreamed of in your whole life. And it's the same is true of Israel. They don't know how to be a nation. And so you have all these obscure laws that are written there because they have been slaves for so long. They don't know any better. You see, rules and laws are supposed to create moral and ethical society and give us models of governance. Basically saying, okay, this is what you can do. This is what you're not allowed to do. This is how people should treat each other. And this is wh- when you do rise up against a problem, this is how you deal with it. You do this, and then you do this, and then you do this. And some of those laws are very detailed and seem very archaic or draconian and just outdated to us. Why would people think this is a good way to resolve conflict? And the reality, the answer is because they were slaves for so long, they don't know any better. And that's why every country in the world or every Every place in the world has a set of laws that govern them, like the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution or the Bill of Rights or the Geneva Convention. All of these things are written to try to govern people and say, this is how you do things in a moral and ethical way. The problem is, is that rules and laws always lead to abuse and equality. Because wherever there's a law, somebody is violating that or abusing it. I was watching this documentary recently um, that was kind of post 9-11. Obviously, that was something that uh, was on everybody's radar being 20 years uh, later. And talking about some of the ways uh, that, that things were dealt with leading, uh, leading forward. After World War I, the Geneva Convention was written. It was finished in 1929. And it was really a set of rules and laws that says this is how you have to treat people uh, if, they, uh, you know, if they are captured or whatnot. And this term, prisoner of war, came to life. The problem was uh, a lot of people, they didn't want to call people prisoners, so they started calling them detainees, which was a sidestep of the Geneva Convention. No, they're not prisoners, so we can violate their rights. We just call them detainees. We're not, and kind of try to deny them due process for things, which was one of the ways that, okay, you don't do that. You're not allowed to do that. That's unethical. You've got to allow people due process. We're all governed by a stronger ethic than just something that suits our needs in a particular time. And this is what people do. We all do this. That's why, that's why Paul says to Timothy, the Bible trains us towards righteousness. It teaches us how to live like God's eyes. It teaches us to have God's eyes rather than our eyes. And that's not an easy thing to do. 
when you read passages of Scripture like Matthew chapter 18, one of the times that Jesus is talking to his disciples and talking to people. And I've got to imagine that he is thinking about Deuteronomy 25 when he's saying what he says in Matthew 18. See, Matthew 18 is a passage where Jesus talks about how do we resolve conflict among each other. He says, if a brother or sister sins against you, you go and talk to them. Just the two of you. You try to work it out. And if that doesn't work, you pick somebody that you both know that speaks life into you, and you take that person with you, and the three of you try to work that out. And if that doesn't work, then you then you find some spiritual people, maybe pastors or, or leaders of church, not that we've got it all figured out, but try to take somebody that has some righteousness in them and go there and try to figure it out. And then there's this beautiful verse at the end of that passage that says, because wherever two or three gather, it's not a passage about being a church, it's about conflict and saying, wherever two or three are together, I will be there with you. Jesus is showing the people just how far we've come. We used to be grabbing each other to resolve conflict. Let's not do that anymore. Let's talk to each other. Let's, let's deal just with you and with me. Let's stop acting like slaves. And let's start acting like God's righteous question, what are weird scriptures teaching us? What are they telling us? They're telling us one very distinct message, especially in this context. The realization that we are no longer slaves. It took Israel a long time to get out of the mindset of being slaves. But as they are being trained in righteousness, what a beautiful lesson to look back and go, look how far we've come. Not because of us, because we were awful. We did terrible things. We thought this was a good idea because that's all we knew. Now we live in a relationship with God and each other that a conversation is enough. Forgiveness can take place between the two of us. We don't have to cut off hands and gouge out eyes anymore. We can just talk to each other. There's something powerful about that. That's why when Paul writes to the Galatian church, he says to them, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. God wants you to be free. Don't ex let yourselves again be burdened by the yoke of slavery. Don't go backwards. God is training us and moving us towards righteousness, and he wants you to live there. He doesn't want the past to have the same weight as the future. He wants those things to be different. The reason why they included passages like this in Scripture is so that we could see how far we've come. Can you believe this is the way people did things? Because everybody, every one of us in this room has a slave story. Something that's in our past that we've come away from. That we've stepped into freedom. We found something in God that we've maybe never found in our lives before. And while those things are ugly and dirty and we'd rather just leave them behind us, they remind us of a past life and they remind us what God is freeing us to. That's a big deal. The reason why I believe a lot of these texts are in there is so we can see how far we've come. Are you the same person you were 
five years ago in faith, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the day you came to faith? Are you the same person? I hope not. Are you more free? Do you know more? Are you more trained in right? Do you see with the eyes of God more than with your own eyes? That's why we have these facts. To show us how far we've come, how much we've been pleasing Him. And yes, they're good for a good laugh. And some of the stuff you read, <laughs> it's going to really be amusing. And some of the stuff we're going to talk about, maybe it'll just get people back to church. Let me tell you, because uh, next week we're really going to talk about it. But I think there's also a call in this to be people of the Word. We don't read our Bibles in our schools. When we're on Facebook and Snapchat and TikTok and all these, we spend so much time consuming that. Maybe spend time using that other app on your phone called Bible app. Maybe just spend a moment reading the Word of God for a day. Maybe take time to be present, to be here, to worship. It changes the trajectory of our lives. It trains us in righteousness and leads us to freedom. And I think that's the word that our world needs to hear. Our world is very enslaved right now. We need a word of with God's word in us, living that out. It'll change So Father, today, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to read all of Scripture. Thank you for these silly passages. Thank you that they teach us how far we've come. Thank you that they remind us just who we are and who we used to be. Father, today I just I just pray that we would be a bit more intentional with our Bibles, a bit more intentional about reading and consuming your word. God, the world just bombards and inundates us with, with so many things. May we just find quiet moments where we can just spend time with you trained in righteousness. Allow us to sit at your feet and be good listeners. So Father, we thank you that you are so graceful towards us and so kind to us. That you are, that you just allow us to be in relationship with you because of Jesus. We just pray today that you would remind us that we are free. We are called to be righteous. It's all because of your son. It's in his name that we pray. Church together.